Uh, open your Bibles, let's just jump, jump right in. We are going through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we came to a section where Jesus talks about prayer. And uh, by the way, speaking of prayer, thank you for those of you that prayed for me while I was away last weekend. I truly sense your prayer sustaining me through the services and my conversations with the staff and the church folks as they continue to grieve and mourn the loss of their pastor. Um, so thank you. Matthew 6, 5, and when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they, do not, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many, many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Said a couple weeks ago that we're not going to talk about like, do you pray and, and why should you pray? Because the reality is I look at prayer sort of as a reflex of the human heart. Prayer is a way that we get very much in touch with our humanity, with our frailty, You've heard the saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. You've heard the, the, the examples of people when they're lost out at sea. Uh, when they come to another point of desperation, it's normal and natural to go, God, help, dear, something, crying out to somebody. Um, prayer reminds us that when we come to the point of realizing we're not in charge, that when we realize that circumstances are beyond our control, by the way, I think that's one of the reasons why it's hard for us to really pay attention to these tragedies because, well, a couple of things for me. One, it reminds me that I'm very comfortable in my own life, but also reminds me that I'm not in control, and I hate being reminded that I'm not in control. I hate it, so I look away. Prayer. It's not a matter of if you pray. It's when you pray because all of us will pray. Quick review. Uh, we said two weeks ago that having a request answered is not the primary goal of prayer. Jesus even said, look, I know what you need before you ask me. To which if we go, then why should I pray? Then we completely miss the point of prayer. Can I just say this? When you look at prayer as a point of getting something from God, you actually get very little from God. It's those who approach prayer and saying, the point of this is not for me to get something, that prayer really actually is meaningful and means something. Secondly, we said that prayer is constant communion with God. We said that prayer is a way of relationship being with God. It's communion with God. It's not about lists and requests and so on and so forth, ultimately, but it's about fellowshipping, communion, spending time with God and catching on to his heartbeat. So let me put it this way. Prayer is communion with God. This is new, where, where we center on God. The point of prayer is to get our heart back into its, what I will call, true orbit. Is for us to center on God. Prayer is a way for us to come to that place. And I thank Carlton and Pastor Michael and others who did this today. Prayer is a means of getting our place to the, getting hearts to that place where the ultimate reason is to center on God, to glorify, to worship, to focus, to anchor on God. Take a moon out of its orbit. Ultimate will crash and burn. 
run into things. Do you know the Bible says that you and I, our hearts, our lives were designed to orbit around God and God alone, and that when we orbit around something else, we center on anything else besides God, we too experience, hello, can anybody relate, crashing and burning. Prayer is that thing that enables us to center on God. Prayer enables us to make God central again. Now, listen very carefully. When I say that prayer is a, is a way for us to center on God, to orbit around God, to make God center again, I am not saying prayer is what we say to God, God, you're central. All of us do that. Prayer is where we go, God, I affirm that you're central. I affirm that you're the most important thing in my life. We all do that. Listen very carefully. Prayer is where we make God central. Do you know the difference? Prayer is the process where we make God. We make God central in our thinking by remembering, recollecting who he is, what he has done. That's what you were doing today. It's not just saying, oh, God, we sang these songs. No, no. Prayer is the process. Will we make God central in our thinking, first of all, by remembering, recollecting who God is and what he's done? We also make God central, listen to this, you guys, in our feelings by rejoicing in and drawing the sweetness out of who he is and what he has done. Prayer is the process where we make God, not say, not affirm. We're great at that. We make God central in our thinking, in our emotions, but also in our planning as we walk out by reordering and reprioritizing our needs, our wants, our desires. Prayer is hard work. Why? Because it's where we make God, not we say, not we affirm. We make God central in our thinking, feeling and are planning. This is why it's hard work. This is why it's hard work. Uh, prayer, we said, is learned. Um, and, and hopefully this is encouraging. Is anybody encouraging? Is this encouraging to anybody? Prayers. Why? Because we are not very, I'm not, let me, I'm not very good at prayer. I'm not a very good prayer. -er. Is there a word? I'm not. I'm not very good at the whole praying thing. And it's encouraging to me that Jesus. This is how you should pray. Because even though prayer is important, it's neither easy nor natural. Can anybody relate? Talk to me, church. Can anybody relate? Prayer is neither easy nor natural. I said this example last time. I could preach for 45 minutes without problem. But praying for 45 minutes, it is the hardest thing ever. Um, I have preached some bad sermons. You've been here for some of them. I have a tendency to babble on sometimes and lose my spot. But no matter how bad my sermons were, I, I have never, ever, ever, ever been in a place where while I was preaching, I forgot that I was preaching. I have never been in a place where I was preaching and then all of a sudden, wait a minute, there's people out there. <laughs> wait a minute, I'm actually, never. But can I tell you how often I've been praying? Please, if anybody else relates to the same, and I forget that I'm praying. Anybody? I, I love what John Newton said. John Newton once said this. He said, he said in his prayer, it's so frustrating because even though he wants, he's, 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 at the, he's at the feet of the king of the universe and he has bowed down before the king of the universe. And he said the buzzing of a fly in the room is distracting him from being able to concentrate and pray. Just a fl in the room 
is distracting him from being in the presence of the king of the universe. I, I, I thought more about this this week, you guys, because, again, your past, I personally struggle so much with this in praying and discipline and all that stuff. But, but I, I, I thought more about this, and, and, and the reason why we struggle to pray, and even when we do, sometimes it's stilted and it's shallow, is because we don't know the one that we're praying to. We don't know the one that we're praying to. Um, I hate wedding rehearsal dinners. This is the reason why for some people when I officiate, I choose not to go. And here's the reason why. I'm an extreme introvert. I'm an extreme introvert. Being around people for a couple hours absolutely drains me, right? And the thing about wedding rehearsals is you're there, you're the pastor, they know that you're the officiating, and you're around family and relatives that you have no idea who they are. And you have to work at what? The conversation. You have to make a conversation. And so you're sitting there next to the uncle, aunt, or mother, or whatever. And I'm one of those people. I'm socially acute enough to know that I have to talk. I can't just be awkward and sit there. But it's hard work making conversations. So I'm saying stupid things. I'm saying shallow things. I'm saying dumb things. I'm like, why did I, did I really say that? I look over to them. I hope I didn't offend them. And the whole evening is like that. So I hate, I hate, I hate wedding rehearsal dinners and the challenge it is. To be able to make conversation. I thought about, I, I think that's a lot of us when we first start to pray. We don't know him very well. We don't know him very well. And I think the same thing happens to us where sometimes when we first, and, and by the way, this is important because for some of us, I don't know where we got this. Some of us, we were just taught to believe that when you became a Christian, prayer would be easy. And some of it is because they say, you just talk to God. And it is kind of talking to God. But it's the same dynamic of when you're with a friend, that you've known for years, and conversation flows, conversation is natural. You go, hey, remember when we, versus talking to somebody, and now, you know, if you're at a wedding rehearsal, you've, you know, two hours, if the champagne is good, you're a little loose and lax, the conversation flows a little bit better. But the whole time, it's an absolute challenge to talk and to converse. So here's my question. How much time are you putting into talking to your heavenly father. How much do you and I enroll in the school of prayer where we go, God, this is getting to know you. This is getting to talk to you. For some of us that go, my prayer life just hasn't taken off. My question to you and me is, have we enrolled in the school of prayer where we set aside time to pray, to learn, to grow. Versus thinking one of these days, life's just going to go off and go, it's just going to be easy and I'm going to be able to pray really, really well. The thing about prayer and the thing about, you know, you've been there when somebody prays and their prayer is like unbelievable because they pray like they, what? Know the one that they're praying to. And it's because they know the one that they're praying to. Prayer is learned. That means it takes discipline. So can I ask you this? How often do you and I set aside time? Is it more important than exercise? Is it more important than community is great, small groups are great, but is it more important, just as important as community and friendships? How often do we set aside time during the day, and a place to enroll in the school of prayer and to grow and to be nurtured. 
I had to say for myself, I'm not doing so well these days. I'm not doing so well these days. My conversation with God, and I'm, I, he loves me. I have no doubt of his love for me, of his care for me, but it's stilted. It's awkward. It's, hmm. Do you know the one you're praying to? Are you spending time enrolling in the school of prayer? Are you setting it? Here's what I want to do. For those of us that are sitting there going, wow, okay. I want to challenge you to set aside time. Try doing this. You guys, set aside time for the next three weeks. It could be five minutes. It could be seven minutes. I'm going to be real practical. Set aside time. Set aside time for the next three weeks during a day and, 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 and that, that, that works most effective for you. And set aside a space where you could go into your prayer closet, if you will, close the door and go, for the next three weeks, I'm going to seek my Heavenly Father. Try doing that. Try doing that for the next three weeks. Make it a priority. So the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And in it, Jesus is teaching about, I think, the essence of prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer that you and I, it's so familiar. He says some things that are so counterintuitive because in the Lord's Prayer, he goes, there's some things that you think are incredibly important about prayer that are not. And there are things that you think are not very important about prayer that are incredibly important. And here's the thing. Here's where we're going, you guys. Jesus literally says here, if you understand the essence of prayer, it unlocks the keys to kingdom living. He says, if you understand what the Lord's Prayer is, it unlocks the key to kingdom living. Everything that you and I, everything that ails us, everything that ails us, everything that we perceive as problems to our lives, everything that hinders us from living the abundant life Jesus asks us to, Jesus says, it's right here. It's all here in the Lord's Prayer. Challenge and problem, it's still familiar. Lord's Prayer is so familiar. Everybody and their grandmother knows the Lord's Prayer, right? We could, our Father in Heaven. Everybody just kind of goes, our Father in Heaven, who art in Heaven. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. So you know what's happened? It's become so familiar that we don't hear it, we don't smell it, we don't see it. We rush right by it. We rush right by it. And Jesus says, you need to sit and learn the essence of what I'm trying to teach you in the Lord's Prayer. Because if you understand it, truly understand it, it unlocks the kingdom of living. Real quick. Broadly, Jesus says there are three parts to prayer, to unlocking kingdom living in the Lord's Prayer. One, center your heart and mind through praise and adoration. Jesus is teaching you and me about prayer. That's why I love what you guys did today. You guys had no idea where I was going, but this is what Jesus says. If you want to understand the kingdom living, if you want to understand the key to kingdom living, if you want to understand how prayer could be meaningful to you, Jesus says, first, center your heart and mind through praise and adoration. Then secondly, he says, submit completely to his royal lordship. Submit completely to his royal lordship. And then third, he says, Ask away. Ask away. So let's get this straight. He says, here is the key to kingdom living. Here's the essence of prayer and the Christian life. He says, first, center your heart and mind on who God is and what he has done. Then, he says, submit completely to his lordship. And third, ask away. What's the problem? Talk to me here. How do we pray? We go what? Ask away. And Jesus says, and you'll be frustrated. Ask away. And Jesus says, prayer doesn't work. He says, ask away. And, check this out. And, and, you will not enjoy praying. How many of us, 
Just be honest here. Have gone to God with, me, 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 my knees, fix it, do it, God, change it, no, no, no. And afterwards, we actually felt worse. Many of us. And we just go, prayer doesn't work. Jesus, it's not that prayer doesn't work. There's an order to follow. So let's look at the order. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray. He says, our Father. Here's the first thing about prayer. Ready? Prayer identifies us as his. Can we say this together? Prayer identifies us as his. Jesus doesn't say, here's how you pray. Dear God. Which is fine. But Jesus says, when you pray, pray our Father. Why? Because he says, when you're praying, you're praying to your heavenly Father where you realize you are my son and you are my daughter. And when that clicks, prayer becomes revolutionized. When that clicks, that you and I pray to our Father. And we are his son. We are his daughter. Prayer becomes revolutionized. Do you realize there's a basis for conversations when we talk? What do I mean? Every conversation a basis. Try walking out the church today and walk up to somebody, the person in front of your Starbucks. Excuse me. Excuse me. You don't know me, but I need you to do something for me, okay? After this, can you go and kind of take care of that for me? To which that person turns around and goes, you smoking something. Why? There has to be a basis for every conversation. What's the basis? Jesus says the basis is when you come and go, our Father, you remember that you're not just praying to some deity. You're not just praying to some God that's out there. He is your Father. He is my Father. Here's another way to put it, you guys. Prayer only works on family terms. Prayer doesn't work if he's just your king, although he is that. Prayer doesn't work if he's just your creator, although he is that. Prayer works, Jesus says, because he is your, say with me, heavenly father. Our father identifies us as being related to him. Do you realize, and this, it's hard for us to put this out of context, but you realize that Jesus is the first person that walked around the face of the earth, and he says stuff like this, John 5. I only see what my father doing, and whatever I see my father doing, that's what I do. My father has sent me to you. He's going around saying, my father, my father, my... And all the religious leaders at the time going, are you crazy? No one could use even the personal name of God. And you're referring to God as your father? Jesus continued went on and said, my father, my father, my father. Now, we, we hear that and we go, well, of course he could do that. He was sent from God, from heaven to earth. He is God's natural son. But the amazing truth of the gospel is he turns around and he goes, not only do I call him father, he says, when you pray, what? You Call him Father. You. Call him Father. And in those two words, our Father, he's encapsulating the gospel of Jesus Christ where he says, when you believe in me, you have the same status with the Father that I do. You have the same privileges with the Father that I do. You 
have the same level of intimacy with the Father that I do. This is the gospel according to Jesus Christ. John 1.12 Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 1 John 3.1 How great the love the Father has lavished unto us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Church, think for a moment with me. Think for a moment on a day like this with me about what the Father thinks of Jesus. Think for a moment with me about what the Father feels towards Jesus. How much does the Father love the Son? How much does the Father want to honor the Son? We know what He did. You and I know the oceans that He swam to save us. Think of the kind of love and honor the Father wants to bestow on the Son. And Jesus says, the audacity of Jesus say, when you pray, you too can call him Father. Meaning, the, the, the same affection that the Father has for me, he has for you. The same privilege that the Father has for me, he has for you. The same honor the Father has for me, he has for you. You know what's one of the frustrating and glorious things about being a parent is? Is that my joy is bound up in my children. My joy is bound up in my children. Parents, do you know what I'm talking about? This is like the worst thing and the best thing ever. Is that you can't be happy unless they're happy. You don't experience joy unless they're experiencing joy. Now, sin twists that. And what parents do is obviously they try to live their lives, what? Through their children. Anybody experience that? Anybody? Yeah. That's what sin does. But you got to ask, where does it come from? Why is my heart and my joy bound up in that little three-year-old? Why is it that when he's happy, it gives me joy? When he is, why is that? Because the Bible says we are made in the image of our Heavenly Father. And what the Bible is saying is this, that if our joy, the three words that revolutionize parenting and God for me is when Jesus says, if your child asks for it, asks for what, a fish, how many of you would give him a snake? If your child asks for an egg, who in the world would give him a scorpion? And then Jesus says, if you, though you are sinful and evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, here are the three words, how much more? How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? He's saying, you think your joy is bound up with the joy of your children? You're a sinful, flawed human being. God says, I am a perfect God. And if that's the degree to which your joy is bound up in your children, think of how much my joy is bound up in your joy. But we don't believe it. Because how we respond to unanswered prayer. Because how we respond when God says no, or not now, or not for you. We don't believe that he is our heavenly father who is like the dad who comes and he's got the present behind his back to his child and he's just hoping, hoping, hoping that the child will ask for that gift that he has because if the child asks for the gift that he has, the joy on the child and the father would be amazing. We don't believe that picture of our God. We don't see him as our heavenly father who says, how much more? We see him as stingy. We see him as mean. We see him as a joy killer. We see him as, you want to rob me of my joy. 
The reason is because we run right by our Father to gimme, 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 gimme. And Jesus is saying, stay at our Father. Our Father. Our Father. Our Father. Our Father. He says, don't zip right by that. To give me my daily bread. Because then prayer doesn't work. He says, our Father. Our Father. And he says, sit and park until those two words mean something to you. Until they mean something to you. I'm, I'm, look, I'm serious. For those of us that are sitting here today going, I have no joy. I don't want to be a Christian. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm worried. I'm going to talk a little more about this. And those of us just completely just out of it right now, I want to ask you, when you say the word, our Father, does that mean something to you? When you say, our Father, to the three words, then how much more? That's you. Is that who you're praying to? Our Father. If your prayer life is boring, you don't get this. If we don't have a prayer life, we don't get this. Because here's the other thing too. This is the reason why our prayers are so small. Can I get an amen? Our prayers are so small. If this is the God that we know, our Heavenly Father... James in his James says we we have not because what we ask not. This is total conviction for me today. Total conviction this entire week. I look at my prayer life. I go, why is my prayer life so lame, so weak? Why are my requests so small? Because I don't see him as my heavenly father. I'm serious, church. Stay here as long as it takes. Our Father. By the way, by the way, that we're, we're going, unless you get the Our Father, you, <laughs> you will never be able to pray the most important prayer, which is, and let your will be done. Never. Never. Unless our Father our Father means something to you? The most important prayer uttered on the face of the planet by Jesus. Another crucifixion, not my will, yours be done. The key to kingdom living, we will never, ever be able to say those words. Let your will be done until you know you are my Father. Secondly, Jesus says, our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name. Can we say this together? Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I love this. Jesus is saying prayer begins with adoration. To which like a third of us are like, amen. And the other two thirds are like, <laughs> By the way, if this bothers you, if this bothers you, you need to go check yourself this week and ask yourself, why does that bother me? 
Prayer begins with adoration. When Jesus says, our Father in heaven, he's not reminding of us his location, but his authority. Okay? When Jesus says, our Father in heaven, he's not reminding us about where God lives, but who God is. So check this out. And this is the interesting part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, our Father, he is your Father. He is your Father. He's your heavenly Father. How much more? But at the same time, your Father is what? He is God. He's huge. He is outside of time and space. He's eternal. He's infinite. He is amazing. He is the God of wonders. He is kind, merciful, gracious, forgiving. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is your provider. He is all that and more. Adoration. Do you know why we need to begin with adoration? Because our problems are a matter of perspective and not circumstances. Our deepest needs are inside, not outside. And if you sit there and go, that is the biggest baloney puff puff I've ever seen. All I want to say is, Philippines typhoon. That is, I have problems. Circumstances. Majority of us, our problems are not truly problems. It's a problem of our perspective. Can anybody say amen to that? Our real problems are, so here's what happens. Here's what happens. Look at me for a second. Look at me for a second. Here's what happens. We are obsessed with the fact that we think our problems are circumstances outside of us, not inside. So what do we do? What do we become obsessed with? Changing what? Circumstances. We become obsessed with changing circumstances. We become obsessed with changing outside. How many of us this morning walked in here going, my problems are because I am still single. That's my problem. How many of us walked and said that my problems today are because I don't have kids? Or maybe some of us, I don't have the right kids. <laughs> you all know who you are. <laughs> How many of us really think that our problem is because we not the right job? We don't have the right grade. How many of us are obsessed with thinking that our problems are outside in circumstances? And we become obsessed. If I can just change that, can we just be totally honest this morning? Does that work? Be courageous enough to admit this morning. Does that work? When you finally change that circumstance, does it give you what you long for? Do you walk away going, now my life is problem free. I'm good to go. Our worries and our problems because of our perspective and that's why we're anxious, that's why we're upset. Not at the circumstances. And Jesus here in this prayer is teaching you and me, you want kingdom living, you want kingdom living, you want abundant living, then there has to be healing of your perspectives on the needs you have before you ask them. What you really need, what I really need, is not for our circumstances to change, but our perspective and our inside to change. And what is that? It's the fact that we don't enjoy God. It's the fact that we don't love God. It's the fact that we lack understanding of our God. Our real problems come from an internal condition of our hearts and not the external condition of our circumstances. Did you, guys, do you read the Bible? Do you read your Bibles? You ever read Paul's prayers in the, in, in the epistles? He has four prayers. Philippians 1, Colossians 1, Ephesians 1 and 3. It's amazing. It's amazing. Because he's writing to people that are, 
He's writing to people who say, you know, my biggest problem in life is I don't have the right job. People would have been like, I'll take that tomorrow. He's writing to people going through unbelievable things. But when you look at his prayer for his friends, there's nothing in his prayers about overcoming problems. There's nothing in his prayers about changing circumstances. There's nothing about relief from troubles. There's nothing even about healing. There's nothing about, there's, there's nothing about, I just pray that you'd be happier. Nothing. Here's what you do find. I pray for spiritual insight. I pray for an overwhelming sense of God's greatness and glory for you. I pray for your transforming vivid faith. I pray for unshakable sense of God's eternal unfailing love. I pray that you would know God's love that's high, wide, deep. That's what Paul prays over and over and over. He doesn't even mention the things that's plaguing them. Why? Because Paul knows what Jesus is teaching us in this prayer. He's saying, your problems are not your circumstances. Your problems is how you're perceiving those circumstances. Can, I, can, I, can we just be real here? Some of us are miserable because we're worried. We're, we're, we're anxious. And I go, well, why are you anxious? And if I really probed, you would go, I'm anxious, Peter, because I don't trust that God knows what he's doing. So I need to make it happen. And the problem is we know that we have no capacity to make anything happen because we can't control people and we can't control circumstances. Yes? Do you really believe, listen, do you really believe that God in his wisdom knows what's best for you? Do you really believe that God in his love desires what is best for you? Do you really, really and truly believe that God is sovereign, all-powerful, and that he has the power to bring it about? Do you really believe that? Worry and anxiety for me comes when I go, I need to figure stuff out about the future. And I have no idea how to do that. Anger for me comes and resentment for me comes when I don't trust that God knows what is best for me and that he desires what is best for me. And fear, fear more than anything else, fear for me comes when I desperately try and control outcomes or circumstances of outcomes and I know for a fact that I have no control over that. And Jesus goes, you think the way to fix your anxiety, your fear, and your anger is by changing circumstances? Friends. Friends. I don't know about you. I'll just speak for myself. Self-pity, which I'm prone to. Self-pity for me comes when I forget about his grace. Self-pity for me comes when I forget about his grace. That is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Because I don't know about you, but I'll speak for myself. Self-pity comes when I forget that I deserve worse. Worry. Worry comes when I forget God's goodness. Worry comes when I look back on the 43 short I'm here for a moment, gone tomorrow, second life of my life, and I go, you've been good to me, God, but I forget. And resentment for me, resentment when I can't forgive, when I can't let go of anger and bitterness, resentment for me comes when I forget that he was merciful to me. Worry, anxiety, fear you think they're going to go away just by changing circumstances Jesus says adoration look up look up 
Don't look. Don't, don't, don't look to the side. Don't look at circumstances. Look up and see who I am. See what I've done. Look up and see a God who is wise and knows what is best for you. And by the way, he's your heavenly father. Look up and see a God who desires what is best for you. And if you doubt whether he loves you, look at the cross, look at the cross, look at the cross. Which is the reason why every single Sunday I could stink and bomb, but I will focus you on the cross. Because you don't need, here are the four ways to solve your relational issues. You need to hear, Jesus is all you need. Look up and see what you can't control, which is people and circumstances. God says, I'm in charge. Look up and begin with adoration because it reminds us of who God is. Don't rush to give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Change this, change that. Change, help her. Jesus says, a heavenly father, begin with adoration. A guy who learned this actually the hard way is a Bible character named Job. Do you remember Job? I love Job. I could read, I could read, I could read that book over and over again. Do you remember Job? Once some things that you and I will never go through. He he lost his children, lost his job, lost his belongings, lost everything. And what does he do? In his anger, he goes to God, and his prayer could be described as God, why? Change, fix, give me. And the amazing thing is God doesn't go, here's why. Okay, I'll change. Do you remember what God does? Do you remember what God does? He has like the best comeback ever. I wish I could do the same, but I can't. What does he go? He goes, okay, let me, uh, okay, Job, um, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? That's a good comeback. (laughs) It gets better. Were you there when I laid the stars in the sky? Job, uh, were, you, were you there when I hugged the stars? Go, go hug yourself. Go hug a tree or something. Go hug something that reminds you of your final. Were you there when I hugged the stars? Were you there when I put the cattle upon the hills? And here's the amazing thing that's confusing to us. We go, that's not going to help at all. But at the end of Job, what happens? Job is healed. The self-pity drains out of him. And he says, I've seen you. With, I, 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 he says, I've heard you with my ears. This is an amazing prayer. But now I've seen you with my eyes. I repent. It's so confusing to me because we go, that's not going to work. And yet, what does God do? God's doing this. Father, give me, give me, give me. God goes, no, 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 no. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's start over. Job, let's start over. Let's start over. Start with what? Our Father. Start over. Our Father. And then what? Thou art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. God makes Job go back and say, Job, 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 start with adoration. Start with praise. And against all counterintuitiveness that you and I go, but that's not going to work. I need to lay out my burdens. Job says, I adore you. I see you for who you are. Why? And some of you heard me say this over the last 12 years. When we don't see God for who he is, we lose faith. When we lose faith, we lose heart. And when we lose heart, we lose hope. 
When we don't see God for who he is, we lose faith. And when we lose faith, we lose heart. And when we lose heart, we lose hope. And to gain a sense of hope is not rushing and saying, change, fix, because I want to, God says, start with But God, it's going to feel uncomfortable. And no, start with me. I heard a story. I'll end with this. I heard a story about a woman who, uh, whose entire prayer life very much looked like yours and mine. And that is, she would rush into prayer, and 80% of her prayer was, God, ask, fix, change this, give me that. 80%. And she heard an advice from a pastor that said, this is going to seem really weird, but here's what I want you to do. Go before the presence of God, and for the first 80%, just adore him. Thank him. Remember who he is. And she said, it just didn't make any sense. But she's like, it, I might as well give it a try. Because the way I was praying, she said, I actually felt worse. I felt worse after just plaining to God about what I needed and not better. And she began to pray. And began to remind herself who God was and what he had done. Just began to pray who God was and what he had done, who God was and what he had done. And she said, it literally began to, and these were her words, drain. That's where I got it from, drain the self-pity. Because she said, how could I feel self-pity when I think about all that he had done for me? All that he had done for me. She said, the anger began to be drained as well because I thought about, he's forgiven me. He's forgiven me and embraced me. Why am I holding on to this grudge? How can I possibly hold on to this grudge and anger and bitterness? Adoration. And she got to get a new perspective. And then I loved it. She said, then prayer just became <laughs> going to the presence of God, going, God, yeah, you know about, got it? Yep, yep, yep. You know, you know about, yep, yep, got it. Two minutes, okay, we're good. Instead of 80% of, here's the laundry list of things, lots of things, and at the very end, here you go. What does your prayer life look like? What does your relationship with God look like? Maybe another way for me to say it is, when is the last time you just spend plenty of time going, our Father, stop right there. Yeah, our Father. You're my Father. I'm your son. You're not some jumbo-sized version of my dad. You are the perfect version of my dad. You are Father. I'm your son. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Great are you. Merciful are you. Amazing are you. Mighty are you, generous are you, kind are you, patient are you. I don't deserve it, God, but thank you for the cross. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your generosity. Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Church, will you pray that prayer with me? I'm just going to take us to just praying just that part a couple times. Ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Go back, go back. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Go back, go back. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. One last time, church. Go back. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name.